Welcome to Co-op Cast, a podcast where we will discuss cooperative and solo board games. My name is Steve, and joining me today, as always, is Colin. Hey, how's it going, Steve? Pretty good. How are you doing? Oh, living the dream. Yeah? What's going on? Oh, well, you know, we uh, are doing regular stuff around the house, like trying to sell it. <laughs> regular so, stuff? Yeah, no, that's not regular. But yeah, we're... Uh, <laughs> we're uh, we're trying to sell our house and looking to build the dream home. So I'm really excited for that. That sounds awesome. Any yeah, chance actually, you can do some gaming stuff with the dream home? Uh, yeah. So the wife, Monica, is amazing. And she has already designed what she wants the first floor to look like. And she has already put a board game room in there right next to the office. So while she can do her sewing and knitting, she will be in that room and I can be right next to her recording, which will be awesome. That sounds amazing. So yeah, Steve, do you have a board gaming room? I actually lucked out when we moved to North Carolina. Um, my wife got annoyed of me always taking over the dining room table for playing board games. <laughs> so she uh, uh wanted to find a place i can seclude myself to kind of set up my games and do my board game stuff so i'm actually pretty fortunate to have a basement in north carolina which is rare and that's uh, where i'm actually recording right now nice i was wondering because you know in minnesota it's very 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 common to have a basement but i didn't think that was the case on the east coast as much no it's pretty rare in fact the only time you really see it is if you're on a hill and actually our property is on a hill so we uh that's the only reason we have a basement Oh, do you have a walkout basement? You do have a walkout basement. Okay, so that's not even really a basement. Come on. <laughs> I'm kidding. Just a lower level. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> See, us here in Minnesota, we actually have like a hobbit hole. You know, it goes down into the basement, into the ground, because we don't have to worry about water as much. Because, I mean, yes, we have 10,000 lakes, but we don't have an ocean that's that close. But yeah, you may have noticed that my videos are coming out maybe a little less frequently, but that's because we are getting the house ready to put up for sale. And then uh, I'm going to get get to move in with the in-laws for a couple months while the house that we're hoping to build <laughs> is being built. So it's going to be a fun year, I think. So I guess the viewers or listeners might want to know, are you moving to new city? Are you staying nearby or what's new state or what's going on? Oh yeah, no, we're going to stay right right around where we're at. We uh, we're going to build a little bit farther out of the cities just because we can get a little more land and we can get uh we can get it for a lot less money. <laughs> so, we're going to we're going to look at going a little bit more north and you know, why not? I mean, we're already in Minnesota, we might as well go farther north where, you know, the sun only shows up 6 months out of the year, right? <laughs> but Hey, it makes it makes for board games lots of fun in the winter, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so staying in the same area, just, just looking to get a little bit of a larger house. And the big thing is a storage space and our own dedicated board game room. Yes. It's funny when you have to think about storage space with this board game hobby. You know you're pretty serious into it, so... That is totally 100% true. I cannot believe. So we had the realtor over at our house and I did not realize how many games I had all over the house because as we're walking around, he's like, oh, there's a game. Oh, there's another game. <laughs> what is that? Oh, yeah, that's another game. 
<laughs> and one game that we were going to talk about today, which is the Lord of the Rings, the card game. I have that all over the house. And so, oh, what's this? Oh, yep, this is another Lord of the Rings adventure pack that I haven't opened yet. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of that. That's amazing. I know I got some uh, pretty stern looks for my wife um, when we had the moving company uh, move us into our current house. And so I had like three or four uh, boxes just of board games that the moving company was moving down. Like, wait, there's another one of those? Like, yes. Wait, there's another? <laughs> like, yeah, maybe another one. Maybe another one after that, too. So. <laughs> I can't believe I'm impressed. I don't know if I'm going to let someone else touch my games because I don't want them chucking that into a into a into a van or into a truck i think i'm gonna i'm gonna take those in my own car <laughs> that's how that's how protective i'm gonna be so I, I must admit i did that too for a few select games um i it did have one game get damaged unfortunately um but it was fairly minor it was a d-day dice uh one that early, it was there's a new version that came out but this was the uh the first print run i guess or the first version of it uh and just the back of the box has a pretty sizable hole punched in the back of it but oh, luckily geez. none of the components or anything got damaged and it's all i mean just the box is damaged but that's basically it so steve why did you tell me that because now i'm definitely not letting anyone else touch my games when i'm moving them <laughs> <laughs> well now you can build a little fort in your uh temporary home of all your board game boxes right <laughs> so. yes Yes. Well, it's going to be interesting. I'm still planning on recording even when I'm at the in-laws, but we're just going to have to figure it out, figure out where it's going to be. And yeah, so it's it's going to be a fun transition. But if it means that we get to move into a house that we get to build, it's totally worth it. That's awesome. Love it. So, Steve, what are you up to right now? So it's been kind of a busy week for me in the past few weeks. That's why this podcast has come out a little bit later. So sorry about that, listeners. But um. Yeah, I've been traveling for work. I went down to Augusta, uh, Georgia. I do that for work a little bit, but I've been down there a little bit, came back for a couple of days. And then shortly after that, uh, the wife and I decided to do a getaway weekend. And so we headed to the mountains for uh, three three days. Now, Steve, tell the listeners why you went to the mountains. Oh, yeah. It was my birthday weekend. <laughs> yes. Call me Happy out. Yes. Happy birthday. Thanks. Now you're one year older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to be kind of a strange celebration because we got there and it was awesome um, cabin. We had a room for a little guy and we had our own room and it was just a really nice uh, view. It was on the colder side, but then we're checking the weather. We're like, oh, great. Winter storm advisory. Okay, great. So the next day, it like poured on us snow. We had like mm, four inches of snow. And then later, just after that snowfall, freezing rain. Like, okay, well, <laughs> looks like we're staying here because it's all switchback roads, winding roads going up there. And it's like, well, we're not leaving here anytime soon. So we kind of were, were stuck in the cabin for a day or so, day or two, and wait for it to thaw and melt. Uh, but luckily, by the time we had to leave, if the roads were clear and it was easy, easy driving. But yeah, I got a little, a little change in plans. But good news is I brought games with me. And what can you do when you have up in the cabin without much to do? Play games. Legacy of Dragonhold? Uh, yes, actually. And uh, we actually, <laughs> speaking of which, on the way driving there it was about a three hour drive for us. And we actually built characters on the way out there while my wife drove. I read her the passages and we create characters and tied all characters together so we had all our characters ready to go and while we're up in the cabin uh, we uh we play the first scenario so she's actually pretty excited about it we're going to play the next scenario sometime soon but uh yeah so far so good 
That is awesome. So second scenario, do you know where you're going to go yet within the town? Nope, not yet. So okay. I I was tempted to play it on the way back in the car because that's kind of a game you can play in the car, which is kind of silly. I don't necessarily recommend playing other games in the car, but <laughs> <laughs> that one you can. Um, but that one, you, it helps to look at the map. And so I didn't want to play the game without her seeing the map. So That makes sense. I, I don't think you need to look at the map as much when you're within an adventure itself, but when you're trying to determine where you're going to go, you'd definitely want to look at the map. Yeah, so we did that, and then I've been playing a lot of Spirit Island because my wife surprised me and got me the expansion to that, which is awesome. I absolutely love that game, and the expansion just breathes a new life into it. So I've been playing that, like, I think I logged four plays in the past, like, four days <laughs> with the expansion. So, nice. Yeah. So you, you definitely like the expansion. Oh, love it. Love it. I So it was about when I got to 25 plays of it, it started feeling a little predictable uh, where I can kind of get an idea of how the games were going to progress. So throwing that event deck to spice things up and change things really helped a lot. At least for me, it did. Did you feel like it took away some of the goodness of the game being the fact that part of what makes that game have a draw is the fact that it has that predictable randomness? Um, A little bit, but you can mitigate a lot of the effects coming out of it if you plan for it. I mean, some of it you can't because it's there are an effect called aided, and you can actually choose one of the two outcomes if you're able to pay for it. So, like one of the guys I was playing with is the giant tree guy. I think can generate a lot of energy. So, if I kept some energy on in reserve in anticipation of one of those cards coming up, I can actually have a choice of what I wanted to do. Yeah, I played the tree. I like him. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> his energy generation is fantastic yeah it was a lot of fun my wife played the uh oh crap the uh the fangs guy the, the creature guy so we both did pretty bad the first time we played them because we just got blighted out but yeah if you control blight with those characters they're a lot of fun Steve, that's so awesome because I love that expansion. I feel like that event deck really does add a ton to the game, especially if you've played the game a lot. It, it's a next, it's kind of that next step for you to, to delve into the Spirit Island world, but I definitely don't suggest starting that way. Start out without it, nice and simple, and then as you have gotten to having more plays, it's a great way to keep it fresh. So, so glad that you're enjoying it, and we have to play that again on Skype because I love that. <laughs> but Steve, what else are you playing besides Spirit Island? So I met up with another gamer in town and uh, we played a few games, but one of the games we played was Warhammer Quest, the adventure card game. And this is by Fancy Flight Games. Unfortunately, it's uh, out of print due to the licensing, uh, but he uh, lent me his copy and I returned to him a copy of Mage Knight. And so we've been uh, talking and playing each other's games. But I've uh, since I've received the game from him, the uh, shout out to Steve, by the way, if he's listening. Wait, his name is Steve? It is. Steve it's Squared. It's Steve and Steve? Yep. That's amazing. So, and also our last initial is K for both of us. So. <laughs> Steve and Steve. Yep. So it gets kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, so I've been playing that and I actually finished the campaign, which is only five games of it. And enjoyed it. It was actually kind of interesting that it reminds me a lot of another game we'll talk about uh, very soon. So 
Um, actually, Colin, what game have you been playing lately? Yeah, this game that you're going to talk about. So you might have noticed that I haven't been putting up as many videos over the last five or six or seven days. And that's because I have fallen in love with Lord of the Rings, the card game. So I recently did my top 10 adventure uh, board games, and I put Lord of the Rings, the card game on there because I did really enjoy it. But I'd only played the core set and I think one of the scenarios from Kaza Doom because I had that expansion. But after doing that and then talking to Steve over here, who I think has every single expansion for the game, <laughs> uh, I decided, you know what, I think I got to give this a little bit more of a shot. And well... I did, and now I love it, and I think I have played, in the last seven days, I've played at least 11 times, and I uh, I even got my friends at work are playing with me at lunch, I've played with Steve on Skype, I've played with my wife three or four times, and now I am re-listening to The Hobbit, I found an audiobook of that, actually on YouTube, it's an awesome way to do it, because you don't have to pay for it, <laughs> um, and we are watching the movies as well, so yeah, I'm totally all about Lord of the Rings right now, which is a lot of fun. That's amazing. I love the game so much. Yeah, and I, I can't even describe to you how much fun it was when we pulled that out together and we played those couple scenarios. We got our butts handed to us in that first game. <laughs> and then and then you switched your deck. You moved to like a, a deck that was based on side quests. And that was so cool. And so we were going on these side quests while we were also trying to defeat the enemies. And we ended up winning. And that was awesome. And so, yeah, anyways, it's just a great game. I like how you can do a couple games back to back. And if you have a couple decks already made, you can jump to different decks and try them out. Yeah, it's great. And we're going to we're going to talk about that in our discussion topic because both Steve and I are a little bit enamored with that one. To say the least, yes, definitely. That is my most played <laughs> game. I can I play it all the time. In fact, um, I've been playing it almost weekly with a buddy out in California. Yeah, I'm on East Coast and he's West Coast. I, I don't know, but somehow it kind of works for us. So we don't. We've been playing for I don't know, man. I want to say a couple of years now. So uh, my buddy Jake and we we've been trying to go through every quest and beat every quest um, in order. So we're. Uh, Catching up to the last, the most recent cycle now, we're just starting that. So we're basically a cycle behind, but yeah, it's been a fun adventure. You haven't even done the saga yet, right? Because you're going to end with the saga. We did the Hobbit saga, but not the Lord of the Rings saga. We're saving that for the finale. Oh, so you have done the Hobbit saga. We did do the Hobbit saga. Well, when we get to that, I want to know your thoughts. So, but okay. Um, The other game, because we're going to talk about that later. So let's move on. The other game is the City of Kings. This one I'm actually showcasing on the channel right now, and it is coming back to Kickstarter, you guys, if you are interested in it. It's coming back April 17th for a second printing. What I really like about City of Kings, first of all, is just the story. The story's been great. I I feel like I'm being immersed in the game, especially because... In the story, you'll do something, you'll have a certain requirement you need to do to move the story along, so you'll go and complete a certain objective, and then all of a sudden your objective is going to change, and you're going to move to something else. I really like that. It allows you to get into the story, and you feel how things are different within one play session. Instead of having a game where, okay, it's, it's this overall story, but each game is one individual part of that story, and so you do that, you have one objective, you complete it, you're done. And then the next game, you'll start off, and you'll be doing something completely different, and you'll do that thing, and then you're done. I like how the objectives 
are within the story, you'll complete them, then you get new ones, and you have to kind of plan your actions through that way. I like that. So for our listeners who may not be as familiar with it, are these new objectives random, or are they, are they known? Oh, great, yeah. So the first time you play it, they are you don't know what they are because they're within the story cards themselves. But after you've played it once or twice, you'll know which uh, objectives are coming out uh, because it is a specific story, so you have story cards. Now, there also are scenario cards where you can just do a one-off scenario. And I should say, this game, you don't get to save your heroes between stories. So there are seven stories in the box. So if I do one story, then... Then when I start the second story, I will start with all new heroes or I could use the same ones, but they won't be leveled up. They'll be back to, you know, the basic level and all the basic skill stats. Um, but yeah, what I like about the story is just simply the fact that you get to do these different objectives within the story. It's, it's great. I also do like how most of the actions in the game are deterministic, but you can give yourself a little extra luck by getting these chance dice. <laughs> I think that's really cool. And whenever your workers are gathering or scavenging, you roll dice for that. And if you accidentally roll too much attention, you'll spawn creatures and then you'll have to deal with them. So I, I really like that mechanic. And that is something that I do find that's unique about this game is you're going to control one hero and up to two workers, depending on how you have leveled up. And so you have to determine with your actions because it's an action allowance game. You'll get four or five actions around. Do you want to do worker actions or hero actions or both? And how are you going to do it? So I, I really like that. It makes it a little bit puzzly, especially with the deterministic, all the deterministic uh, um, fighting and deterministic uh, actions that you can do. It makes it a puzzle, which in case you can't tell, I mean, I love Mage Knight. Mage Knight's a puzzle. I like City of <laughs> Kings. Yeah, I like that puzzly feel in these adventure games. Finally, I just really enjoy the character sheets. You gotta check out the video of it. the The character sheets are huge, and they've got you've got tons of different stats on there. But it's not overbearing to where you don't you feel like you you don't understand what your hero can do. It all is makes perfect sense. But it just the the character sheet is so big, and the picture of of the character that you're playing is huge, and so it really brings you into the game. And I really like that. So. I, the biggest thing I would worry about is replayability. So after I'm done with those those stories, I, I'm not sure how much I would play it just with the scenarios because the scenarios give you one objective and then you're done. And part of what I enjoy so much about the game is having all those different objectives within one session. And so when you don't have that, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Also, how the creatures work, it's really weird because... You don't actually have a specific creature that spawns. You can use any of the creatures that he has in the game. And it's just a random tile and then a little banner. It's a it's a standee banner that you'll use. And how you differentiate the enemies is by drawing these random skills based off of an easy, medium, or hard. So you've got three different bags and you'll draw a certain amount of skills from those. And yeah, that's cool and all, but it does make it feel like the creatures aren't really thematic <laughs> you know you don't have a cobalt or you don't have um, a wolf that when you see the wolf well, you know the wolf is going to be fast it's going to bite you so it could probably poison you no it's going to be kind of random where you'll draw one and it, it does cursing and poisoning and it moves it's like okay well why does this one move and other ones don't i don't know so 
Yeah, I I don't know. And really, I think the biggest thing, though, and this is what you got to decide for yourself is, is it worth the cost? Because it's not a cheap game. And there's lots of really good adventure games. Heck, I just did a top 10 adventure games list. And I'm pretty sure City of Kings would be on there somewhere. I haven't played it enough to be able to determine where yet. But I don't know. I mean, do I do I really need to have City of Kings when I've got Fortune and Glory, when I've got Lord of the Rings, the living card game where I could <laughs> spend probably the next, like Steve said, couple years playing and, you know, still have new stuff to play versus the City of Kings gives you seven stories, uh, you know, story adventures. And that's it. So you got to kind of determine, is it worth that cost? I mean, yes, he can totally expand this, but that probably means you're going to have to buy it. <laughs> so yeah, these these are just initial thoughts for City of Kings, but I am definitely enjoying the game. So when you say the Kickstarter is coming back April 17th, I remember Kickstarter, there's some rule where you can't reprint the exact same game twice. So you have to have something different about it. So do you know what's different about the Kickstarter coming up? Not at all. I actually didn't even know that was a rule. That's really cool. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> what I would suggest is checking out the City of Kings on Board Game Geek, and my guess is that Frank has something up there. Um, also, I'm sure that when the Kickstarter comes out, he'll be showing you what's different. I mean, maybe it's going to be that he already has an expansion, because this was on Kickstarter almost a year ago, so he probably has expansion material already ready. Uh, I guess we'll see. Yeah, it seems like a really cool game. I just love the artwork of the hero sheets and looks it looks really fun. Yeah, and I should have said that what's really cool about the hero sheets too is the fact that they're not regular heroes. So they're unique heroes, but they're also they're not unique in a way that's weird. They're unique in a way that's awesome. I mean, I'm playing this dwarf guy, but he's kinda of, he's kinda of like a fire dwarf, and I'm playing a cat ranger, and <laughs> it's just as awesome you know and there's um rolling solo is doing a playthrough too and he's playing uh my favorite guy the big rock man and i think he's technically a golem and it just looks fantastic and the the little standee for it takes up an entire tile <laughs> it's so big and so yeah it's it's really cool i like how it's not the basic okay here's a dwarf here's an elf no they he changed that up and created a story in this world that I really like. Okay, well, that was probably more than you needed to know about City of Kings, but yeah, definitely check that out. I'm doing a playthrough. Rolling Solo's doing a playthrough, so there's lots of different uh, places you can go. Frank himself, so he's the designer, he also has a playthrough kind of showing you the mechanics, so you've got tons of ways to see information about it and see if maybe it's for you. So I think from here, let's move on to talking a little bit about the agenda, what we're going to talk about today, considering we're already probably, what, 20 minutes into this podcast and we haven't even talked about that. Um, the first thing we're going to talk about is news. There's tons of news, lots of things going on. Then we'll move from there to our discussion topic, which will be Lord of the Rings. Yes, Lord of the Rings, the adventure card game. And then we'll just end with some closing comments. So let's get started. Steve, start us off on the news. So the first game I'll talk about uh, is a game that my wife and I have played a lot. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's our most played game between the two of us. And that's a new expansion for Marvel Legendary. Uh, my wife tends to like deck builder games and I have corrupt corrupted her and she's into 
superheroes now. <laughs> she used to not be that much into them, but with the recent movies and introducing to this game, she's she's gotten into it. We watch all the shows now, too, all the superhero shows. Yeah, that expansion is called Legendary World War Hulk. And so this is going to be the biggest expansion for the Marvel Legendary System at 400 cards. No wonder it's the Hulk. Yeah, it's <laughs> and very they totally fitting. did that on purpose. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they did. So um, it's going to be uh, 40 bucks, releasing in June of this year. And we're not exactly sure what it's going to be yet because they haven't had a lot of previews and leaks. But we know that there's going to be some type of uh, new mechanic that allows heroes to transform and level up. I'm not sure what that means. We'll find out in the future. We don't know a lot that's inside this expansion, but we know She-Hulk's in it, and we also know that there's Hulk's Warbound is in it. So if you've seen the movie uh, Thor Ragnarok, um, minor spoiler, but there's a character named Korg who's in it, and he'll be in this expansion as well. That is awesome. I got to ask you, Steve. So you're telling me that Lord of the Rings, the living card game, is your most played. Marvel is your most played with your wife. How do you play Marvel Legendary? Do you play it as the semi-co-op? Oh, never. We play fully cooperative every time. I think we tried semi-co-op once or twice, but it's just, uh, it's not a thing. So would you say that you like Marvel Legendary better than Legendary Encounters? That's a tough question. Um, I have played the Legendary Encounters system, and I think the Legendary Encounters system does a much better job story-wise, but for ver- uh, variety and replayability, I think Marvel Legendary is better in that regard. Um, and I only played the Alien version of the Encounter system, and while I like Aliens, I'm, I don't like Aliens nearly as much as superheroes. So it's got a little bit of a tilt for me for liking the Marvel Legendary system over it. So for you, it's really the theme. So if they came out with Legendary Encounters Marvel, which that's never going to happen, but if they somehow did that and made it fully co-op and did the same system where cards came in face down and you'd have to scan them or whatever to flip them up and you would have cards that allow you to cooperate together and you'd actually have your own hero instead of having all the heroes within your hand as your deck of cards, you would go for that. It's just the fact that Marvel Legendary, that theme, is so strong you'll still play it sorry sorry i gotta put my wallet back in my pants here it was taken out when you were describing that game but yes exactly <laughs> well that's what i dream of because that wouldn't that be awesome uh, you know if they somehow since a lot of people love marvel but i wonder if they know just how many people play it fully co-op and if they came out with a, a legendary encounters marvel oh man wouldn't that be cool i would love that but I mean, for my wife and I, we do some um, variants in that game. Like one rule we always play with is the uh, final blow. And there's a new uh, name for it. I have to look it up offhand. But basically it means you have to hit the mastermind four times to eliminate them. As opposed to the normal rule was three times. And yeah, we love it. It's awesome. Do you play where if a card you know hurts your opponents, technically, do you just play where those don't hurt your opponents, or do you still play where it hurts them, and so that's part of the cost of playing the card? We play that it still hurts them, as, and it's the cost of playing that card, but, but most of the time, that's one of the cards we target when we have to discard a card from headquarters instead. Got it. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so I... Bought Marvel Legendary. I had every expansion until uh, the Civil War one came out. Then I sold everything. 
I got rid of everything because I found legendary encounters. And although I preferred the theme, for me, the gameplay of, of legendary encounters alien superseded Marvel for me. Then about three months ago, <laughs> Monica was like, whoa, you sold Marvel Legendary? You didn't tell me. Yeah, that's how many games we have. And so <laughs> she was. She said, I love superheroes, which I didn't even really know, uh, but it's awesome. So I said, okay, well, so I've been slowly collecting it back. So I don't have all of it, but I do have a lot of it. There are so many cards in that game now. They keep producing it, and I... I think I counted how many heroes I have. I don't have every expansion for it either. There's some of them I missed. Like I don't have the the villain expansion because it's a little more confrontational. Um, but even skipping a few expansions, I have over 100 heroes to pick from. It's insane how many cards are for that game. Uh, I can't, that's almost overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. I will never play the same game of that twice, ever. <laughs> Now, we can talk about this when we talk about Lord of the Rings, but what's more overwhelming? Keep this in your mind. What's more overwhelming, Marvel or Lord of the Rings? Okay, just keep that in your mind. We'll talk about it later. Moving on, let's talk quick about a game I talked about last time, and that is Unbroken by Ultima Games. This is out now on Kickstarter. It is a dungeon delver. It's only 20 to 30 minutes long. It's for solo play only. Um, I'm going to actually start a playthrough of this. I've already started it. I just need to edit it. By the time that Steve probably edits this podcast, it'll already be out. Uh, the game is a lot of fun. It's quick. It has deterministic fighting for you, and yet the enemy, you'll roll a die to determine what they're going to do. So you've got a little bit of both sides, some randomness for the enemies. You're not going to know what they're going to do, but you can make sure that you know and plan, okay, I can do this amount of damage, or I can break their armor here. I really like that. And then what you're going to do when you're not fighting is you're going to be gaining resources and managing them. So you'll be managing your metal and your wood to try and upgrade your weapons. And you're going to need food because you're going to be hungry. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. I suggest checking out the Kickstarter. It's not expensive, which is also, I think, a huge plus, especially for a solo only game. And yeah, it's a lot of fun to play. Check it out. It's good. I, I can't even remember when it is going until. Let me check. Here we go, April 25th. So this is going until April 25th. Rolling Solo has a great playthrough. Liz from Beyond Solitaire has a great playthrough. And I'm also doing a playthrough. And actually, Rado did this one too, which I was amazed because it's a solo-only game. And his biggest complaint is that it's not a cooperative game. <laughs> and I agree. I think this would be a great co-op game. And I wonder if Artem is going to take that to heart. I hope he does because... I would totally get two copies of this to play it with my wife because I think we would really enjoy that. It's a really cool theme. Like I feel like the fantasy theme gets or genre gets used a lot, but Ace, you're the last one of your party kind of survival with a fantasy spin on it. Very cool. So that's Unbroken by Altima Games. So another game that is on Kickstarter right now is Dinosaur Island Back from Extinction. And I believe Colin has done a playthrough of this and as I understand, if you're not familiar with the game, it's kind of like Jurassic Park, the board game, without actually being called Jurassic Park. <laughs> so. Yes, yes, it is. So the game, you get to build your own amusement park with dinosaurs. Does it get any better than that? No. <laughs> with, by the way, awesome metal coins if you got the Kickstarter Deluxe version. Yeah, love it. It's a lot of fun. It is a worker placement game. It is normally competitive, but it has a solo version. Now, when you... 
with the base game, you had just different objectives you were trying to complete, and then you were trying to get a high score. That's okay. It's not the greatest way of playing a solo game. Now, though, they're going to have, I think it's six or seven different AIs you can go against. Each one's going to be a little bit harder and does different things to try and beat you. And so you have to beat the AI to win, which is really cool. So I'm I'm excited to see how they do that. And they're also doing what what's called a Dulasaurus. So if you're really into two-player games, they also are coming out with a two-player Dinosaur Island. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see how that also plays out. So that looks cool. Yeah, it looks like this campaign is already funded and it's going to end April 21st. And that is Dinosaur Island Back from the Extinction. No, another one that actually piqued my interest, and I'm still not sure if I'm going to go and back this one or not. It's called The Arena, The Contest. So this game is a miniatures game. (laughs) It's for one to eight players. It's already funded. I think it's over 200% funded. Uh, but that's because it has lots of miniatures and it's on Kickstarter. <laughs> uh, it's going until April 26th. The game is set in a fantasy world, so it's it's generic fantasy, and you can play it either as uh, PvP or you can play it as a campaign cooperatively, and that's really what I'm in. Uh, I'm excited for. It looks a lot like the D and D adventure board games. The difference is it has a full fledged campaign, and you've got different bosses that are going to show up. You'll you'll level up your heroes, and then at the same time you can flip the board over and then do a skirmish if you want and fight against each other and have teams or whatnot. So it looks. Cool cool. Um, there isn't a gameplay video out that I know of yet. There's a couple uh, review videos, but none that are actual full playthroughs. And that's really what I'm kind of holding off for. In case you can't tell, the whole reason I started doing playthroughs on my channel was because I found that to be the best way for me to understand if I like to game or not. And so I really want to see a playthrough before I back this because it is not cheap. Because <laughs> um, it's going to have 3D walls, you can get uh, an expansion, and then it's going to come with two two or three Kickstarter-specific miniatures. You're forgetting the most important part. What is that? 3D dragons. Oh, yes, there are dragons in them, and the dragon miniatures look sweet. I mean, I have no idea what they're actually going to look like, but they look pretty cool. And I will say that who I can't remember who is designing this one or, or uh, publishing this, but it is their first one on Kickstarter, too. So that's also something I'm always a little bit wary about. Uh, but yeah, just keep that in mind. Oh, and I should say, fighting is all resolved by a roll of a d20. So that's where I get that, you know, very similar to the D&D adventure games. You're going to roll that D20, probably have certain things you can add to it and modify, and then that's going to determine if you hit. Um, I actually don't mind that. I, I like games that are like that that are simple. You just have to be in the right mindset. And so if they have that with a full-fledged campaign, yeah, they, they might catch me there. I know what your thoughts were, but when I was looking at this campaign page, it went on and on and on and on. It was just, I don't know what it was, but they have a ton of content on there to, to digest. Yeah, and I mean, is that a good thing, Steve, or a bad thing? I'm curious. I'm not sure. So for me, um, I actually don't watch the Kickstarter videos basically ever. Um, I find it more efficient. I can get what I need to just by skimming the page. But this one took forever for me to skim. So for me, maybe not so good. I had trouble digesting like, well... How many options do I have? What comes in the box? And it's hard for me to figure out from a glance what, what's going on. Um, I normally will wind up reading the rule book anyway if I get interested in it. But yeah, it wound up being harder for me to figure out what's happening. 
Well, Steve, if you read the rule book, let me know because I'd like to see what you think because I haven't read the rule book. Uh, I'm only basing this off of just listening to a review and I did watch the video and then I have actually read the entire Kickstarter page (laughs) because I was interested. But yeah, I don't know. I also want to mention that some people have been a little bit annoyed by the art in the game. You're going to see that, well, the warriors are going to have really strong muscles and the females might have certain areas of their body that are protruding more than they probably should be. And so just be wary of that if that matters to you or if you're thinking you're going to play this with kids around, you might want to think twice. So just check out the Kickstarter page and uh, you can see if it's something for you. So that's Arena the Contest. Make sure to check it out if you like the idea of a miniatures, cooperative, or competitive board game. The next game I'll talk about is has a strange theme, but that's kind of why I want to mention it. So the name is called Good Dog, Bad Zombie, a cooperative board game. Roof, roof. <laughs> I can't, that's staying in. That's staying in. <laughs> okay, good. I wasn't sure if you'd want that or not, but you can always edit me out. Oh, no. We're keeping that in. It's too late now. <laughs> So it looks like this game is already funded and it's going to finish April 12th. Uh, but yeah, this was kind of interesting. Uh, when I saw the co-op name and the title, I had to look into it a little bit more. But the the theme is the zombies have taken, taken over and you are dogs in this game. You're playing as dogs. So you and your dog friends have survived so far. But the problem is you are missing the belly rubs and playing fetch. So you need, need a human to... Uh, to call you good dogs. So your job in this game is to go out in the apocalypse world and find human survivors and bring them back so you can get your belly rubbed. That is the most unique theme I think I've ever seen. I agree. I read about that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I at least have to mention this. I don't know if the game is going to be good. I'm personally not backing it because I'm not sure, but the theme alone gave me a chuckle. Hold on. You only have to pay 150 bucks plus shipping to play the game with your own pack of dogs. So you get a copy of the game, plus Smells and Allies expansion, plus four custom dogs of your own dogs, plus 12 custom custom humans. I mean, come on. You could you could play with you and your four little pets. I <laughs> also love how the creator of this campaign, of this game, has spelled humans with two O's. Humans. <laughs> or humans. Yeah, yeah, they have uh, references like Squirrel Town. Squirrel. Squirrel. So. I have to say, this, you know, I almost just want to back this just because this is what I feel like Kickstarter should be. You know, a small company coming out with a really unique idea, bringing it out and people are going, hey, you know what? This sounds crazy and cool. And it's fun to see that it's already funded. It It's not just funded. I mean, it, its goal was 35000 It's at $76,000 right now. That's awesome. The other thing interesting about this is one of the loss conditions is if you don't um, find the humans in time, you can start becoming more feral. And so you become less domesticated, become more wild. You forget what it's like to be, get your belly rubbed, you know, in other words. And then you don't care about it. And then you lose exactly. the whole requirement of the game. Wow, that's awesome. So silly game. Look, check it out on Kickstarter. That's called Good Dog, Bad Zombie. The next game I'll mention is Deck Box Dungeon by Aria Studios. So this game is currently on Kickstarter for the next 14 days of this recording. It's going to end April 11th, and it hasn't met its goal yet. This game reminds of One Deck Dungeon in that it's a dungeon call trying to complete that same experience with one deck. The difference here is it's accompanied by an app as well. 
So it plays one to four players in 30 to 60 minutes. You can choose your class with special abilities and weapons to modify your stats. And the app will actually lay out the board, which is all, all these cards are double-sided. And you actually use dice and keep track of your enemies as you move through the dungeon. You know, Steve, as you talk about it, I, I have to admit, I actually backed this initially, then I backed out because I, I was thinking, well, I have one deck dungeon already. Do I really need deck box? But as you're talking about it, <laughs> now you're making me want to back it again. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really like how there, you know, you've got the cards, the layout, the, the app itself, what you're trying to do in the game. I don't know. It just seems interesting and, and somewhat unique, really. Yeah, with the app, I'm, I'm. Some people don't like app integration in games. I personally kind of like it. I'm not necessarily for it or against it, but I kind of like it. There's definitely some pluses, and this app will be able to react somewhat dynamically to your play. And the nice thing is, after you buy the game, there's a potential of adding more content, kind of for free, essentially. But what I'm really curious about in this game is most of the cards are double sided, so you'll see one weapon on one side, another weapon on the other side. I'm not sure how that's going to be managed because you obviously can only have certain combinations of the cards out there at a time. So I've got to look into this one more. Yeah, maybe they do that on purpose too. So they, you know, if you're using one side of a card, the other side is the exact opposite type of that. So you can't have, you know, two of the same very different types of weapons or something like that. I will say it's not funded yet, so and it's still got a bit of a ways to go with 14 days. So if this sounds interesting and you're willing to give it a shot, I mean, the it looks like the the publisher has published two other games, so it's not like it's a new publisher. So check it out. That was Deck Box Dungeons. So the next two that I wanted to talk about quick, and this is just from a creator standpoint, there are two really awesome creators out there for board game content that I personally think are fantastic. I watch them all the time and I'm actually backing both of these and that's No Pun Included and Man vs. Meeple. So what's interesting is both of them are very different from my channel, but I mean, that's part of the reason why I like them so much is they give reviews, they do previews. Um, yeah, you're going to see a lot of different types of media than what you see on my channel, but I think that what they do is amazing. I mean, no pun included. They put in so much humor and so much time into their videos about board games, and they specifically talk about games in a way that is critical as well as telling you what they liked about the game and making it funny all at the same time. And I really I really appreciate that. I feel like I can go to No Pun Included and I get their opinion and I know what they actually think about the game. And so I really appreciate that. I also know that Efka doesn't have a full-time job, so this is what he does for his job. And so that means that you're going to get lots of content. You're going to they're spending a lot of time on these, you know, playing the board games, giving you good reviews. Check them out if you have a spare couple dollars. I think it's a great way of using it. Help them out, help them get to funding and so they can keep doing this because I do think they're helping out the board game community. Now, Man versus Meeple, I mean, do you have anyone that is more professional than that, Steve, that's in this uh, board gaming creating world? Not with that much polish, no. Um, no. There's some other content creators that do excellent job, but they overall are incredibly polished. Yeah, and so if you're looking for reviews of games, they do a lot of previews, but they do reviews as well. 
And some of my favorite things on their channel are these chit chats where they just sit down. There's four of them. They talk about different things about games. I really love watching those. Um, they also, though, are very much not about solo <laughs> and really hardly about co-op either, but I don't even care because I just love hearing people talk about board games in general. So if that sounds interesting to you, check them out. And they also have tons of promotions too. So if you go and back them, you can get certain games signed by designers or stuff like that. And you can even meet them at at, uh, certain events if you pledge at certain levels. So yeah. So I just wanted to let you guys know that, you know, there are some content creators who they do this for their full-time jobs. And that would be both No Pun Included and Man vs. Meeple. And they're the ones that I feel like do a great job of providing you with either great polished work or really good, honest reviews that I think could be very beneficial for the board game community. So if you do have a couple extra dollars that you're willing to spend, check them out. The last news item I'll mention is Maximum Apocalypse Gotham Horrors Expansion. So this is on Kickstarter right now. It is funded, actually funded in two hours, and it's going to be, the campaign's going to finish April 26th. So this is an expansion where you can actually get the core set. In fact, the Kickstarter version of the core set, if you missed the previous campaign. So feel free to check this out and jump on it. But adding a few new elements to this, like a day-night event system. But I won't talk a whole lot about it because we talked about it recently. But go ahead and check it out on Kickstarter. That is Maximum Apocalypse Gotham Horrors Expansion. So today what we wanted to do, this... We wanted to talk about Lord of the Rings, the card game, because we know it's an older game. It it came out in 2011, so it's seven years old. The game is not dead, okay? So don't believe that it's dead. It is still alive and kicking. (laughs) They did just come out with an online version of it, right? Uh, Well, kind of. Um, It's a different game, to be honest. There are some, yeah, there's some thematic similarities. But the game is very much different. In fact, some of the cards do even completely different things. Wow, I'm so glad you told me that. I did not know. Is it is it different in a good way or just different to be different? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure yet if it's going to be better or worse in some ways. But uh, we'll see what comes out. But there's been The good thing about it is Fantasy Flight Interactive has been very good at responding to the comments and criticisms they're, they're getting from their... Uh, their beta releases and what they've shown the public. So I'm optimistic that in the end it'll be a good game, but I'm going to, I've been kind of waiting for the end result before evaluating myself. Is it still cooperative? So still the same type of way of playing? Correct. It's still cooperative and you play against a Sauron AI character who controls his own deck as opposed to the deck kind of running itself and he'll make his own decisions. But I believe it's only max two-player, last I checked. That might be different. We'll have to look. Okay, interesting. Wow. Yeah, I'm. the only thing I'm worried about is that they're going to stop doing the card game and move only to the online system. I really, really hope that doesn't happen. So the designer, Caleb Grace, he was pulled from the uh, living card game to support this interactive card game endeavor, and he was really excited to announce it. But as far as I know, he is now, now that this this interactive version is in the works, he's now moving back over to support the living card game. And I believe his efforts are going to be supporting both in the near future. In fact, okay. if you look at the 
latest expansion that was announced, there is already a confirmation in the back of the rulebook that there's going to be two new cycles coming out. So not just this new one coming out now, but the one after that. So there's going to be at least two new cycles coming. Oh, good. That makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, but maybe not my wallet. <laughs> So. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we can talk about money later. <laughs> right now, let's talk about the fun part. So, Steve, why don't we, just in case, because this is an older game, some people may have come into this hobby like me later on and had never even really heard of this game or understood just the general uh, you know, general parts about the game. But do you want to just give us a brief overview of what the game is like and what you're doing in Lord of the Rings, the card game? So I think it's important to know what they mean by a living card game. If you're familiar with stuff like Magic the Gathering or Yu-Gi-Oh! Or as my dad says it, Yugogi or <laughs> Pokemon. Yugogi, that's great. <laughs> he said that once and we we love that phrase from now on. So it just cracks me up every time. So for those games to collect the cards, you're buying a pack of cards and the cards you get in them are randomly distributed. So what Fantasy Flight has done is when they call the games living card games, you buy a pack of cards, you know exactly what cards are coming in that pack. So it's a little easier on your wallet. There's no rares and you know exactly what you're getting. But what's important to know about this game is in order to play the game, you need to sit down in advance and build a deck before you actually sit down and play the game. So it's not a deck building game in the sense that deck building is part of the mechanic in the game, but you still build or construct a deck outside the game before you sit down and play it. This may or may not be something that others enjoy. So would you say that a living card game is a little bit harder on the publisher than a collectible card game? So with the random cards that come out in the packs, I think that generates a secondary market, and the publishers can cash in on that by creating their own special cards or special ran- random cards that uh, people can chase after and s- seem desirable. Whether or not the publisher sees that money, I don't I don't know. But it does generate that second market and doesn't generate its own community behind it. So there's there's that. And I feel like with the living card game, as a publisher or even as a designer, there's more pressure to continue to come out with new stuff new content because how you're going to get someone to buy more from you is by generating more adventure packs or another deluxe pack versus for a collectible card game you can come out with a box and it's going to have certain really hard to get uh, cards in there and people are going to have to spend time either purchasing those boxes or then trying to buy it in a secondary market. The other thing about these trading card games is they tend to have power creep in them. To get people to buy new sets, they tend to make cards just a little more powerful, a little more powerful, a little more powerful. And over that period of time, the newer cards are just so much more powerful than the recently released cards. And what I've noticed in the living card games, at least when it comes to Arkham Horror and the Lord of the Rings games, those are the ones I've experienced with, um, they've done a pretty good job for the most part of keeping a more lateral uh, expansion cards so there is a little bit of power creep in them but it's it's not really that noticeable as they keep expanding out the flushing out the the thematics and the mechanics that are being used in the game steve that is a fantastic point that i had never thought about but it's so true if you think about well so the one that i really spent a lot of time collecting was Yu Gi Oh, and they came out with 
these cards that would fuse together and all of a sudden then all of the cards from the first sets were useless because why would you ever use them because you can use these new ones to fuse and then they I can't even remember all the different names for the things you can do with these but then you can evolve cards later and then those evolved ones took care of all the fuse ones and no one used the fuse cards so yeah they had to keep coming out with more powerful things to convince me to go and buy those instead of keeping the ones that I had now never thought about that awesome so a testament to the Lord of the Rings game is there are cards in the core set which are still key, still used today. In fact, one of the, probably the most powerful card in the game is Steward of Gondor, which gives you resources. Yep, in the core set. Everyone uses it. That's a good point. And I should say, though, even with Yu-Gi-Oh! Monster Reborn or uh, Basic Trap, I can't remember the name of it, but th- those two were also still there that came from you know your starter decks from the beginning. But I still feel like in, in the decks that I have built now, I still have a bunch of cards from the core set or that I've at least thought about putting in from the core set that I would never even have done that with Yu-Gi-Oh! So I guess it might be a good time to jump into how the game works a little bit. So we talked about the deck building and the stuff you do beforehand uh, vaguely, but the game itself plays. So you choose a quest to go on, and this is all a single scenario. It's defined by a number of quest cards. It could be anywhere from one to, I don't know, four or five, and they could be in different configurations. And the quest cards kind of lay out your goals. And in order to complete that goal, you need to put progress on it. It's called progress to uh, achieve it and they flip to the next card or it could be something like destroy a monster do something else there's other ways of doing it but you're trying to do this one goal all the while the encounter deck itself you'll be flipping over the top card of it and the number of cards you flip is dependent on players and the cards coming out could be one of three types generally and it could be an enemy so you have to face and destroy the enemy uh, location so it'll stay in the staging area it's called and it will reduce your ability to put progress on the quest. So you have to go explore that location to help you. Or the last one is a treachery card, which is a negative event that's normally always horrible. I hate treachery cards. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) They usually kill my heroes. (laughs) Especially from the core set, there's a card called Necromancer's Reach, and everyone remembers that card for that reason. I haven't even seen that yet. What does that do? What? You haven't seen it? That's the one where, I think if I remember correctly, every exhausted hero takes one or two damage. Oh, yes. It's the eyeball? I do know that one. Yes, yes, it's the eyeball. I didn't uh-huh. know it was called the Necromancers. Yeah, that's actually today, as we were playing, I was playing with my two friends at work, and that killed off four heroes between the three of us. Yep. That one card. Yes. Everyone remembers that one. <laughs> yes, and after that, we stopped playing. <laughs> So that's kind of how the enemy deck works. And so for your deck, you will create a deck of at least 50 cards, could be more. And you'll be choosing three heroes and you will be playing uh, attachments onto heroes, playing allies. So other characters that can assist you on these these quests or even your own events. And how you construct that deck could be a variety of different ways, but there are four spheres Sorry, four base spheres. So you have to keep track of your colors and the quantities you put in there. You have a max of three cards generally in a given deck. There's some cards you can only have one of, uh, but those cards say say on there. So how do you lose this game? A couple ways you can lose. If you happen to lose, all your heroes are eliminated. You are out of the game. Or if your threat tracker reaches 50, 
And so this is basically a game timer. Every turn it will tick up and it could tick up faster or slower based on other events. That if it reaches 50, you're also eliminated from the game. And if all players are eliminated from the game, you lose. And there could be even be quest specific stuff that might cause you to lose. For example, if there's a special uh, objective ally you have to defend, if he ever gets eliminated, uh, you might lose. Be ready to lose. Be ready to lose often. Be ready to lose when you're just about to win. And be ready to lose when you've just started the game. (laughs) There is a learning curve in this game. I remember when I started playing this game, the first quest is definitely a very on the easier side. And it's definitely easier to beat. Uh, But when I started playing it, I lost. I can't tell you how many times against that quest. Um, At least four or five times to start. And I had to build some other decks. It really, it really took me a while to really start grokking it. At some point, I'm like, cool, I can win this. I feel like I can finally understand the basic mechanics of the game. Let's move on. Start the second quest and instantly got destroyed and lost again. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mention that because, so, you know, I'm, I'm only a 10 or 11 plays into this game. So I've got a lot more playing to do before I catch up to even being at half of the amount that Steve has played. <laughs> but, uh, we cruised in the first quest of the core set, and right now we're stuck on the second one. We've lost three times in a row, and each time we've lost, it's had to do with having our characters at only one health, and we draw that blasted card that does one point of damage to each one of our characters and kills off our heroes. <laughs> oh, that card, that treachery card. And that's kind of getting back to the core set. There's one card in the core set called uh, Test of Will, which cancels treachery cards, and that gets played all the time, especially for those types of cards. I'm realizing the more that I play this game, the more things that allow you to cancel shadow effects and that cancel any sort of treachery card can be very useful. Because in, in all honesty, and this is something that's drawing me to this game. I mean, first of all, the theme itself is going to draw me to this game because I love The Lord of the Rings. I have read all the books multiple times. I've even read parts of The Cimmerillion, so I'm totally into the theme. But what I really like about the mechanics is the fact that so much of the combat and uh, and even determining questing and all these different actions that you're doing, it's deterministic. There's no dice in this game. It's it's all printed out on those cards. The only thing that you don't really know what's going to happen is drawing encounter cards and these shadow effects. And I, I just think the shadow effects are one of the coolest things in this game. <laughs> so whenever an enemy is going to attack you, what you do is you draw the top card of the encounter deck and you put it face down on top of that enemy. After you've decided, okay, who am I going to defend with, you flip that card. And on each card, there's a potential that they will have a shadow effect. It'll be under this little, uh, just think of it almost like a line on the card. And this shadow effect will only come into play if you play that card as a shadow card for for an enemy. And those shadow effects are awesome and terrible. I mean, they're always (laughs) bad for you. But they're awesome because in each quest... You're going to be using different enemy decks, and so those enemy decks, not only do they have unique enemies, but they have unique shadow effects. And so when you're going on certain quests, you're going to know, okay, these certain shadow effects can happen against these enemies. So I've been doing the 
the ones with a lot of these orcs and goblins, and a lot of them will add just a plus one to their attack, but if if the attack is undefended, it's plus three. And so you kind of know that, and so you know, okay, I really can't I really can't go undefended because if I go undefended and he does get a shadow effect, boom, it's all of a sudden doing three times the amount of damage. <laughs> you know, and but I like how that's another way they differentiated the different enemies. I think it's such a cool, a cool way of adding randomness to a very deterministic gameplay. And if you don't like that randomness, I will say there's lots of ways of mitigating that. Um, Especially if you've played through the quest once or twice before, you know what cards are in there and you can plan for certain cards. Okay, when this card comes up, I'm going to have this solution or this answer for it. Or even if you want to know the the top cards of the encounter deck, there's ways you can peek at them. If you want to know the shadow cards that are face down, you can peek at them before you block. There's a lot of solutions out there. Yeah, and I think that that's what's so fun about it is you can kind of decide what type of deck do you want to build. Do you want to build a deck that's really about attacking? Do you want to build a deck that's all about questing? Because you got to think of this game as it's it's very phase specific. So what, what I mean by that is you're going to go through each phase and step by step do different actions. So first you're going to go questing. You got to determine which characters of yours are going to go questing. If you use them for questing, in general, you can't use them for anything else. That includes fighting or defending. So you've got to make that determination. Well, how much do I want to quest? But in order to move along in the story, you need to be questing. (laughs) And if you don't quest enough and there's too much threat in the staging area, all of a sudden your threat is going to go up. And if you hit 50 game's over, right? So you have to make that determination of, okay, so how much how much do I want to use of my characters, so my resources, to quest? Then after that, you're going to draw your new encounter cards. Things are going to change in the staging area. You might actually have enemies come and engage with you. Then you've got to decide, okay, who do I want to defend with? If I defend with characters, they're going to go exhausted. I can't use those, uh, those characters to attack the ones that I use for defense. And this is all in general. Of course, there's going to be cards that are different than this, but in general, right? So you've got to make that determination of, okay, which which of my characters am I going to use to defend? And then, only then, after you've done questing, after you've done defense, then you can finally attack with whatever one or two characters you have left. And they do two points of damage that's blocked by armor. No, <laughs> sometimes I feel that way. But, um, you know, that's, that's the hard part about the game. That's the part That's what makes the game tick is this whole, okay, I have limited resources. How am I going to continue to move on and progress within this story while also being able to deal with all of the threats? And it's so thematic because that's just exactly the Lord of the Rings. So when you said this game is a puzzle, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, This game definitely has that element going for it where every quest, I feel like it's a solution to solve. Now, you can solve it by finding different ways of approaching the counter deck, but I feel like most of the time I solve it is by rebuilding your deck or making tweaks or adjustments to your deck. This might not be for everyone if they want to go back to the drawing board or go back and kind of rethink of how they're approaching this in that that fashion. 
Steve, would you say that if you played it solo, do you think you could maybe decide, okay, I want to do the entire saga quest? And I should say this before I jump into this question. The game comes with tons of different side adventures, and you can play the game where I play one game and it's done, and I go to the next quest and I can use a totally different deck. Or you can also play uh, a saga, which is the storyline of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And there's a little bit of a campaign there. I haven't played any of those yet, but I, I just know that there is a campaign. And so let's say I'm playing that campaign, Steve. Could I maybe potentially use the same deck for that entire campaign? You can. You can definitely use the same deck. In fact, I think a lot of people would try to do it, and it's definitely doable. Uh, you, you It may be easier if you do change your deck. However, if you do change your deck, there are penalties to that in the campaign. It's all in the campaign rules. The other thing interesting about campaign is there is a level of persistence where you will gain bad and good cards in them. So they could be something like negative effects you have to start with or special treasures you gain as you as you quest. So that's kind of interesting how they approach that. I I enjoyed the Hobbit uh, saga we played. That sounds totally awesome. I really can't wait to play it. And I will say this. So I have said before, I was really into Yu-Gi-Oh! And when I say I was into it, I was into it. I mean, I had six different decks. I was going and playing in competitions. I was really into Yu-Gi-Oh! And so... What what I'm going to say about Lord of the Rings that I really do like is that I get that feeling of enjoyment building a deck and being like, oh, I want to try it, I want to try it. But instead of having to compete with someone like my wife who's not interested as much in building a deck, I can work together with her, build two decks that I think would be fun, talk to her about how her deck works, and then she gets to explore it and then we can work together to defeat the quest. And it's it's something that... I love I love deck building and I love playing games with my wife. You put those two together with a theme that I enjoy and it's it's like gravy. Gravy on really yummy homemade mashed potatoes. Yeah, I want to second that. The, one of the biggest things I love about this game is the sheer cooperative nature of this game. It is super cooperative. I have built decks that I put cards in it that do nothing for me. But my teammate can't play them so my goal is to only play it on their cards and help them out i've built decks that do basically nothing but help my teammates deck out and it's it's extremely fun for example there is one character in the game named boromir um from the movies of course he gets shot by arrows spoiler alert if you haven't seen it (laughs) but in this game you just spoiled it for people i know (laughs) uh so in this game, he can you can raise your threat to ready him. So like when Colin mentioned earlier how you can only quest or defend or attack with a character, Boromir can do it all. And all you have to do is raise your threat, which is your endgame timer. However, I build a deck that I then drop my teammates thrust constantly and just keep his threat as low as possible. And he just readies him like mad. He blocks and attacks and does everything on his own. It's really funny. That is awesome. I just think that's what's so fun is there are so many ways that you can build decks. And and I think in order to be successful, you do need to work together on your deck builds, though. So you can't just sit in your own silos. I can't just come up to a random Joe Blow and say, hey, let's play Lord of the Rings. You use your deck and I use mine. And one of the big reasons for that is because of the unique character requirements. So that's something we should talk about because 
I do think that this is a really great mechanic. I think it's important. And, and what this what this uh, limitation is, is if I have a character or a card that has a certain icon on it that shows that it's a unique character or a unique card, no one else can play that card at the same time. So if I have Gandalf out, which, yes, who doesn't want to have Gandalf out? <laughs> but if I have Gandalf out on the table... Steve cannot put out the Gandalf that's in his hand. So all of a sudden he has a dead card in his hand. And so you have to work together on, okay, if I'll have three Gandalfs in my deck. Why don't you not have any? Or, hey, you're playing with a specific hero. There's also an ally card that's the same type or the same name. That means I can't even play with that in my deck because as long as that hero is out, I'm not going to be able to play that card. So I have found that to be cool how that works but sometimes it can be a little frustrating when you're trying to play with different people that have their own decks you're going okay well what's what's your unique characters and oh man i have this one it really makes this deck so now i can't use this deck i'll have to try and find a different one but so just just know that that's gonna be something that makes it a little bit harder for you to just pick this up and play it with anybody who's built their own deck yeah oftentimes players will create what they call a sideboard so this is a collection of cards that aren't in their decks normally but cards they can substitute out for other cards that make their decks still work maybe not at the optimal uh, performance but let's get around the unique conflicts that may arise seriously just like Yu-Gi-Oh, you'd have your side deck that after your first fight with whoever you're playing against you could swap cards in and out that's cool and but it's cooperatively i love that oh wow that's cool the other thing I'll mention about this game is while I think they've done a pretty good job with the quest, definitely the later quests get better and better and better. They've really started to hit their stride. In fact, I would have never have guessed it, but there's an entire, entire cycle where you are going sailing. You're on the seas. You actually choose your own vessel. There's other ships there where it can board. Enemies come on board you. You have to weather, uh, mind the weather. It's awesome. So, Steve. I'm just starting out with Lord of the Rings right now, so I'm actually going to ask you for some advice. I am trying to decide where to start, and it sounds like the better quests are later on. Is it better to start there so that you have a good appreciation for the game and you don't get burned out? Or do you think if you want to play everything, you should really start at the beginning, just suffer through it, and then you can see how much better the newer ones are when you get to them? Yeah, that's good. That's a good question. I would suggest that everyone starts with the core set. I think for the, especially the first two quests in that, there are some key learnings that kind of come out naturally as you play those. Uh, the third quest in the core set, I would almost skip. Uh, there's it's, and that one you actually lose a hero out of the gate, and you have to go rescue them. So thematically, it's pretty cool, but mechanically, it's very challenging especially solo or even two player um you i think i've only beaten it three player and up i don't think i've beaten it two or less yet uh, i want to get back to that at some point but i would skip over that now the bigger issue i think is not necessarily the quest and their enjoyment but really being overwhelmed there is so much in this game the rules are honestly not that easy because all the phases and more importantly there's a ton and ton of cards out there i do think that there's a good method of playing called progression style and so what that means is limit yourself to the cards that were available at the time of that quest and just play with those cards as you beat the quest add more and more cards to it and if you don't want to play progression style that's fine but i do think just limiting yourself to a set number of 
card types and building what you can from that and just adding to that will be greatly beneficial because there are just a ton of combos and cards out there to explore and i i get overwhelmed a lot i've actually sat down to build a deck and within the next hour which yeah i build the deck for a whole hour that's because i've been changing my deck like five or six times just re-scrapping like oh yeah i'll build with this card oh but this other card let's make it oh uh, this card in there and then next thing i know i've got this completely different design in fact my buddy jake cracks up so much because at the end of our play we'll talk about a uh, deck strategy and our uh, going into the next quest and be like yeah you build this deck and i'll build this deck and we'll we'll have fun and he'll build the deck he talked about and i'll build something totally different <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome steve thank you so much for that that's awesome now i i got another question for you this game a lot of the adventure packs are out of print so what would you suggest if I'm getting into this? How do I find, where should I start? Should I maybe look on Board Game Geek for a big set that somebody's trying to trade a bunch of them away? Do you think that just starting with the core set will get me what I need to to see if this game is for me or not? Or is the core set not enough to really show you what this game can give you? So yeah, I would definitely start with the core set and move on from there. I think there's enough content that you, you will have plenty in fact if the content you look for is not in stock uh, fancy flight is doing a great job at keeping in stock regularly you just might have to wait a little bit but honestly for the most part whatever is available at the time you can jump to it there is a storyline in each cycle that, f- that falls through there's you can read in the rule book um, this whole elaborate story and it says do not read until you complete the quest and you move on from there uh, but you can literally jump around to whatever quest you want whatever story you want whatever cycle you want and it'll be okay you may find out that the later quest might be a little more challenging without some of the earlier cards. So that's why I suggest kind of going in the order they have, but you'll be fine either way. Thanks for that, Steve. You know, I think a lot of people are very wary about jumping into this game now with how much content is out there. So it's just helpful to hear from somebody who has so much experience with the game on where to start off. So I, I appreciate that. Thanks for that. So my next question for you, and this is going to be my last question, <laughs> hopefully, can you just give us some of your pros and cons to the game? I mean, you have played this a ton. What would you say you like a lot about this game? And what would you say frustrates you a little bit about this game or you, you would find as a con? So one of the biggest pros of it is the variety of quests. I think they do an excellent job where a lot of the quests don't feel very similar. There's a few of them that are similar in nature. Um, and you do have some flops and quests that just, aren't that great but that might vary from person to person but for the most part the quest variety is is very engaging that's what keeps coming back keeps bringing me back to it that's definitely a big pro a con of it you have to like building a deck or if you prefer the term deck construction which is the building making something before you actually sit down and play the game uh i really do believe that's at least 50 percent of this game is sitting down planning your strategy talking about um, how are you going to cooperate with your, your teammate or your partner and coming to the table and seeing how it works or even sitting down and play testing it, which means sitting down and not necessarily playing through the whole game, but at least playing through a couple of sample hands to try it out. Uh, this can often feel like work to some people. And if this sounds like something you want to get into, then I would pass on this and honestly, probably most other living card games of that nature. Some other pros to it. Uh, the theme is definitely there. I see it. I definitely see it in some of the cards and how interactions come out. Oftentimes, I'll be playing a quest. I'm like, 
wow, that's really, really cool how they made that work or how they made that kind of thematically tie into the mechanics. They did a good job keeping their design space open with a lot of knobs and dials to turn. So that's definitely a big plus there. Uh, con price, of course. There's so much content. It's not exactly cheap. And if you're like me, you have buy a lot of sleeves because you want to sleeve a bunch of this stuff too. So <laughs> that can be an issue. Oh, the other big con is the corset itself. Now, when I said there's some awesome cards in it, they kind of give you only one copy of certain cards and three copies of other cards. In order to have the most flexibility building a deck, you really want three copies of a lot of those cards. Now, it's not necessary to play the game by any means, but if you really get into it, you might want to consider it. However, if you that would require buying three cores to get all three copies of it, and honestly, the third core, while I did it, it's not really efficient there's a lot of wasted cards in it and the other thing about this game this is a cooperative game there's no means you can't just proxy a card anyway and i I honestly would recommend that i'll also mention that the community for this game is awesome i you can sit down with people play this game and it's always a great time it was laugh and chuckle we all complain about how hard it is and we lose but we still enjoyed the game (laughs) so it's a great time and i will plug uh one resource out there well i recommend it's ringsdb.com it's an awesome site where there's great people posting deck ideas and concepts and talking strategies. Yeah, all the cards are out there. It's excellent. I use it all the time. In fact, I almost always just build from that site because it's kind of easier going through a, a website at this point than going through all my cards and binders. Yeah, that's easy for you who has everything. <laughs> my hard thing is I go in there and I'm like, oh, this is a cool idea. And I start building a deck off of it and then I realize I don't have that card. I don't have that card. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. I still really like it's a great, a great resource. Also, Steve got me onto this, but there is a podcast, Cardboard of the Rings. They're awesome. They've got almost 130 some episodes. It's a lot. And it's all about the card game. And it's fun. And they de- they delve deep into it. They talk about specific cards. They talk about which ones they'd use in which decks. They talk about which decks they like. I even went all the way back to episode one, and I'm now on episode 15. That'll tell you how much I've already listened to. <laughs> and so I I just really enjoy it because they talk about stuff and I go, wow, I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about that. And so it's, it's really nice. If you like the game and you like the idea of deck building, check it out because it's a really good podcast specifically about the game. So, Colin, do you have any pros and cons you want to share with us? Yeah, so, I mean, you've hit most of the things. I I would say, for me, the biggest positive is two things. One, the theme. The theme is just just so strong for me. So many things make thematic sense when I'm playing it. You know, when certain things happen, you go, gosh, it's just like the story. (laughs) And how did they do that? And they do a great job of doing that in this game. Is Everything makes thematic sense. And I love that. So the theme is a huge positive for me. The other one is the simple nature of how cooperative it is. And my wife will play it with me. If my wife will play a game with me, I'm going to like it. <laughs> and so she, although doesn't want to do a ton of deck building, she will play this with me and wants to do the entire saga. So can I say no to that? No. <laughs> so that is a huge positive for me. And that that makes me think that the game does a good enough job of bringing in the theme that even someone who doesn't play a ton of games is interested in playing it. I will say that if you're looking to play this game but don't want to get 
into all the cards and all the expansion out there, just playing through the sagas or even even one of the sagas is a great way of just getting a really good sample of this game. Yeah, I still haven't done that. I can't wait to do it. Monica and I just watched that first Hobbit, so now we're going to start doing the Hobbit series. <laughs> now, the the biggest complaint that I have, and really it, it has to do with the people that I've played with, we've had a hard time with how difficult it is, and I think sometimes it can be it almost feels like it's difficult in the wrong way, if that makes any sense. So, when you lose a game that you feel like you could have won had you made better decisions, you're like, okay, next time I'm going to play it, I'm going to make the better decisions, I'm going to do this, and it's going to work. A lot of times, when we have played this game and we've lost because we flipped that treachery card that does one point of damage to every one of your characters, and there's just nothing that you can do about it, even if you have a card in your deck, you just haven't drawn it to cancel it, and all of a sudden, half your heroes are gone, it almost feels unfair, if that makes sense. And I know that there's ways to mitigate it, but especially at the beginning of the game, you may not even have the right cards to be able to mitigate it. And so sometimes you have this feeling that just as you've started, you're already about to lose. And I know that that's part of the co-op aspect. You know, they wanted to make it hard, but sometimes that can be a turnoff. I'm worried that my group at lunch, we have not won one yet. (laughs) We have only lost. And I can see the frustration from, uh, from my other friends. And I don't want them to give up because I think once we win one, they're going to realize it's winnable. But right now they're, they're frustrated because they spent all this time building this, these decks and now they feel like it's not, they're not good enough. And yeah, I just, I'm worried that that's going to cause them to want to stop playing. And, and I would say that that's a a negative for me for this game. That's a great point. I've, remember taking upwards of five five or more attempts to try to beat a single quest before. And that's even after building specifically for that for, for uh, certain scenarios. And yeah, for you and me who are really into the theme and into the game now, I mean, I've got so much content for the game, there's no way I'm not going to play it, right? But for somebody who's just starting off and you're trying to get them into it and they keep losing, it's hard because like, okay, well, I'm going to be spending all this money and all I do is lose. Why am I going to play this game? Why don't I play something else? You know, and so that's that's what I'm just a little bit worried about. And I would say is a negative here. So hopefully Steve and I gave you a lot to munch on for Lord of the Rings. I hope you guys understand just how much fun and how much we enjoy this game. I know we kind of ended it on this positive and negative thing, but overall, both Steve and I are really into this game. And I will say... I am doing a playthrough of this game for sure on the channel. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to do it. I don't know if Monica's going to do it with me, or maybe I'm going to try and have Steve do it remotely, or maybe I'm going to try and have Phil do it with me. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out, but we are going to do a playthrough because I do know that a lot of people think the rules are too difficult, and they're not. Once you get used to how it works, it flows. It flows really, really well, but you just got to get used to some of the weird phases, um, and then when you can do actions and when you can't. And so I'd like to show that. I'd like to showcase the game. So just be on the lookout for that. Well, that should wrap up episode 26. As usual, please don't hesitate sending us any of your comments, both good and bad. We're still trying to figure out how we're going to place ourselves into this co-op cast. So we're still making some adjustments onto our agenda list. So let us know. Any any comments are appreciated. Also, if you have any news or upcoming games that you'd like us to discuss, great. Let us know. Make sure to send us an email at mvpboardgames at gmail.com. 
or onestopcoopshop at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you at the next stop. Thanks. Bye-bye. Welcome to Co-op Cast, a Bar- podcast. Over. <laughs> I wanted so to do good. that. I wanted to laughing too hard. Uh, man. Okay, oh. sorry. <laughs> sorry. Now I got that song stuck in my head. Yeah. If you start singing it, I'm okay with that. Welcome to Co-op Cast, a podcast where we'll... <laughs> that would be perfect. Bar. Over in North Carolina, <laughs> we have Steve. <laughs> oh man, I okay. love it. All right, all right, I'm ready. Yeah, I think when you said this game's a puzzle, that that's hit the uh, nail in the coffin. Or oh, sorry, the nail in the coffin. <laughs> Wrong words. <laughs> You're gonna have to put that in the blooper. Yeah, we'll be the nail into the coffin. That sounds like we're <laughs> killing it. <laughs> the game is dead. No, nail in the head. Hit the nail in the head. Yeah. <laughs>